Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I'm joined in with a special guest, Matt Milner. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucas. How are you? Doing well, doing well. You've um, managed to get up nice and early for this one. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I was on call. Uh, I'm an emergency specialist back in England, and I was on call I didn't really realise I was on call in hospital last night and I got called a couple of times. So I'm a little bit peaky, so bear with me. <laughs> That's fine, man. That's fine. Do you want to maybe let my listeners know a little bit about who you are and, and what you really like like to specialise in? Yeah, well, I'm an emergency specialist. I started med school back in 1995, back in England. I studied at St George's Hospital in South London where I did the majority of my practice yeah, about 2000, I qualified. And yeah, I did the sort of normal sort of training over the first couple of years um, as an intern. Then I moved to Australia. I worked in Sydney for a couple of years. I lived in Manly, lived that sort of beach lifestyle, cafe culture, loved it. But gradually came back to finish my training in emergency medicine. Been a consultant now in emergency medicine for 10 years. Yeah, it's probably back when I was actually in Sydney. I sort of, sort of I was 29 years old. And I realised I was starting to get a bit older. I started to think about my health, well-being. And, and that's where I sort of developed so the practice that I've got privately now. I run a clinic in England, sort of health, wellness, sports performance, and, yeah, general well-being and people you know, thinking about their future and how they're going to optimise their life, health span and longevity. So, in short, that's where I'm at. But, yeah, it also probably started about 17 years ago. In England, it was very different to Australia on how we look at life, balance with work. You know, I was working 78 hours a week in England. I get to Australia, I'm working 40 hours a week. I had so much time on my hands to actually spend time on myself and enjoy myself with the company and my friends that I made out there. So, yeah, in a nutshell, that's me. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I run a weekly clinic and I see a lot of guys, women who want to yeah, make the best of themselves, really. You know, lose fat, put muscle on and you know, just function. So in a nutshell, that's me. Amazing. Let's, let's have a look at the evolution of like, you know, the supplement industry and having a look at an area that you're quite well versed in is like recovery. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. 
Cool. So do you want to maybe mention some of your sort of go-to compounds when it comes to like aiding recovery from, let's say, um, training in the gym and things like that? Yeah, sure. Firstly, yeah, I quite like nighttime formulas. I think they're really helpful. So yeah, things like magnesium, fish oils, vitamin D, the standard ones, creatine, and then goes all the more compounds that affect multitude of different pathways, so turmeric, ginger, um, into them. To be honest, I like the majority of people to get their nutrition from food. I'd rather people not take a pill, but do it like our ancestors did, you know, eat and take advantage of the environment as well. I think that would be sort of in a nutshell, I would say. Mm. And in terms of some of the recovery-based sort of peptides, have you worked with many in your career? It's a difficult one as a doctor to actually condone the use of peptides, as you know, because a lot of them, they are still research peptides. But the problem is that pharmaceutical companies won't bring them out because there's no money to be made in a natural compound. This is the issue. So where do we go with them? And you know, there's a, a lot of, sort of bro science in a few of them in the fact that they've been testing animals, but they've never really had any research in humans. For instance, like BPC-157, TB-500, there isn't really any human evidence for recovery in them compared to something like um, PAL-GHK, the copper peptide. Now, there's a lot of work in that, but not overly in the recovery area, but more things like um, cancer, um, COPD. So... I'd love to sort of condone some of their uses, but I, I can't at the moment because it would be frowned upon as being a physician. Mm. So we just need more human evidence. I think thinking in America of the fact that I think a few of them have been allowed to be used, but I think the problem is that with England, I think we're generally sort of 10 years behind the States and Australia with, with what's happening. Yeah. So I think it's watch that space. England. There's a lot of anecdote. England being behind the US and Australia being 20 years behind the, the rest of the world. In that- yeah, it's, you know, I couldn't believe those sort of nutrition and food when, you know, it was 2004 when I, when I moved to Australia and it, we're, we're a world away in England with what the sort of things that we're eating to what you guys were eating. And, mm. and food actually tastes like food like I remembered when I was a kid. Mm. Like I ate spinach for breakfast in Sydney. I'm thinking this tastes like spinach. I haven't tasted like this for for a decade. Mm. Uh, so it was yeah, it was really interesting. Mm. Let's have a discussion around osteoarthritis. I know you've had a lot of experience, you know, seeing yeah. team. So let's discuss like osteoarthritis. Yeah, my background is I've got quite a passion for this because about four years ago, I discovered that I had severe arthritis and I didn't even know I had it. Because I've got a background, I've got a lot of rugby, um, martial arts, anything contact I like. And um, <laughs> I had an arthroscopy for, for my knee started blowing up and they found out that I had sort of more severe arthritis. So I had a tidy up of my, my cartilage and it, it ended up that I was laying from it and severe pain after that. So I really hit the literature on how I could, you know, help myself recover or even regenerate my knee because I, mean, I was sort of early 40s then and I was told that I needed a knee replacement and um, the thought of that I just felt that I'd failed in life if, if I destroyed my body that much I really wanted to do the best I could naturally to regenerate it so yeah arthritis what is it well it's a degenerative disease of the joints it affects pretty much any joint the neck the spine Hips and knees are the big ones for us. But, yeah, shoulders, elbows. Actually, the word comes from um, a Greek term, ortho meaning joint and itis meaning inflammation. So it's obviously been going on a a few years, isn't it? But I think that was probably from all the athletic um, things that were going on in Greece, probably not obesity and things like that. But, um, yeah, in a nutshell, that's what arthritis is. It's a degenerative process of the joints. And so in terms of looking at some of the risk factors associated with its onset, yeah. sort of explore some of those? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a few. Okay. Um, first, you've got obviously age-related changes. You've got wear and tear as we get older, particularly if you're going to do a, an impact sport like rugby or you know, martial arts, you are going to get it quicker. Then you go on to sort of anatomical variants or malalignments of the bone. You're going to speed up the process. Um, there's genetic factors. It does run in families. 
I'm not sure that they've really sort of located the gene yet that actually causes it. But there's also some abnormalities of collagen um, metabolism. So diseases like Ehlers-Danlos can cause it. Um, then you move on to you know nutritional deficiencies. It's always, always something that can happen. And part of the age-related process is the fact that we lose our anabolic hormones. You know, testosterone is really important for men. Estrogen as well, particularly women. And then we move on to metabolic disease. You know, metabolic disease causes pretty much everything. Is it chronic inflammation, cancer, Alzheimer's, but it also causes osteoarthritis. So if you've got um, hypercholesterolemia or you've got type 2 diabetes, obesity, you are going to get arthritis at some stage. So, yeah, they're the, um, the risk factors for, for, for OA. Mm. Seeing as though you mentioned metabolic syndrome, metabolic yeah. disease, let's sort of explore what does that mean to you and then what are some of the driving forces behind that? As in people getting metabolic disease or how it causes OA? I guess in terms of people that are suffering from metabolic disease, how is that process playing out? With the disease, there's a couple of different pathologies happening. Okay, with hypercholesterolemia, it's actually uh, the, the cholesterol is toxic to mitochondria. It actually causes chondrocytes. So chondrocytes are the cells of the cartilage. You know that it causes apoptosis. So mm. cell cell program cell deaths. Rate raised cholesterol has been shown, and also with um, type two diabetes, there's an energy pathway within cells in the mitochondria called. Um, Amp kinase, um, it's quite trendy, isn't it, in the sort of the biohacking world, this term. Everyone says amp kinase, don't they? Pro- problem is, with type 2 diabetes, you get a drop in amp kinase. Now, that makes chondrocytes more susceptible to pro-inflammatory chemicals. So if you've got more pro-inflammatory chemicals and they're more susceptible to it, you get chondrocyte pathology. So mm. that's the basis of metabolic diseases causing OA, I suppose obesity as well. You've got more pro-inflammatory cytokines going around the body as well. So they're all they're all interlinked. Those three and speeding up the process. I suppose if you're overweight as well, you're putting more weight on your joints. Yeah, it's it's simple mechanics. Mm, makes sense. So then I guess like with that metabolic syndrome, and you mentioned that enzyme AMPK. Yeah, yeah. Look at some of the stimulators of AMPK if you know any. Yeah, there's, there's a few out there. So you've got. Firstly, there's actual drugs that do it. So methotrexate will do it. And then there's other things like resveratrol that I'm aware of. And NAD, I think that that's sort of been the pathway. I believe you're, I think you're probably more of an expert on AMCA than I am. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And then there's also what's it called? Yeah, exercise means stimulate AMCA, don't they, from my. Yeah. Um, yeah. The ones that came to my mind are some of the really cool botanicals. Um, there's one called Gynostemma pentaphyllum from Southern yeah. China. It's like a really cool tea that does, and then also metformin is the clear, is the obvious one. Yeah, metformin. Yeah, and bourbon, I said bourbon probably does the same as well, I presume. Yeah. Let's sort of segue back into the um, nutritional interventions, you know, when we're looking at osteoarthritis, some of the, some of the things that you think have the strongest evidence. Firstly, as, as we, we spoke about before, is nutrition is the key, isn't it? It's not necessarily supplementation. It's getting the, you know, the basics right. So, you know, our forefathers ate properly. It's just getting away from that, you know, the processed foods and eating real food. So, you know, quality proteins. But you've got, you've got to think about the type of proteins that you're eating because we just eat so clean now. We, like a chicken breast, isn't it, that the skin's been taken off or a clean cut of beef. We need to go back to sort of the origins of what we're eating. So, you know, a stew made with beef carving and, and, and the sort of chicken cuts that, you know, wings, um, chicken drumsticks. So, you know, you chew all the, the gristly bits off the bone. People don't do that anymore. And, and you know, you, you need those building blocks of collagen to actually make collagen. So I would say that. And then, you know, I think nutrition isn't that complicated in the fact that, you know, if you eat a bit of everything, then you're going to get the micronutrients you need. You know, so just saying the rainbow diet sort of works, isn't it? If you eat your fruit, you're going to get your vitamin C that you need for collagen production, you know, nuts and seeds with your vitamin E, uh, you need that. And then you need all your micronutrients like zinc and things like that. So it's not actually that complicated, I don't think. So I tell my clients anyway. And then you sort of go on to actual, you know, supplementation, things like um, 
I think one of my favourites nutrition is MSM. So, you know, methane, so that's that organic sulphur. I mean, and that comes in food. So it comes in, in, in tea, coffee, milk, fruit and veg, grains. And it is, a, I think it is a wonder supplement. It works on so many different pathways. So first, I think sort of one of the big pathways that's an issue in, you know, in no way and in inflammation. So the um, NF-kappa-B pathway, yeah, so that's a, it's a pathway that occurs with activated B cells. So NF-kappa-B is a, is a transcription agent, goes into the nucleus, it switches on lots of different pro-inflammatory enzymes, so things like nitrate oxide synthase, uh, cyclooxygenase enzymes, lipoxygenase, and matrix metalloproteinase. Now, that, that's a protein that basically dissolves cartilage. So you've got those, those four enzymes, and then you've got pro-inflammatory mediators such as interleukin-1, beta, interleukin-6, interleukin-10, and transforming growth factor. Now, this cocktail of different uh, cytokines, chemokines, adhesion factors, etc., they just cause havoc within the joint and cause inflammation, you know, a rush of mediators. MSM inhibits the translocation of NF-kappa-B into the, the nucleus. And it's with the body's got so many different sort of inhibitory mechanisms as well. There's actually an inhibitory protein, I think, to NF-kappa-B. Um, MSM prevents the, the, the breakdown of that um, inhibitory protein. So really quite clever. Mm-hmm. And then MSM also, it um, increases the antioxidant capacity of the, um, of the cells as well. But there's a couple of... I know you love all these sort of pathways. NFR2, P53. So you're yeah, upregulating all of the uh, the antioxidants, and as a result, you get less reactive oxygen species that cause the inflammation. And then it's yeah, it's a sulfur donor, so it helps you make amino acids such as homocysteine, leucine, methionine, um, and such. And it reduces joint pain and swelling. I think it's the one supplement MSM. I don't think enough people take it. I know it's definitely in my in my in my, um, my remit. What sort of doses have you been playing around with? I think it's three grams. I take all of my supplements. Um, don't quite me on three grams. I think it's three grams from when I last read. Pretty much everything I take, I take a teaspoon. <laughs> you know, it comes out about the right dose. The other thing that's interesting, I was going to say, you're saying it's sort of MSM inhibiting that NF kappa B. Yeah, um, it makes yeah. me wonder whether, like, it's a similar pathway to, I guess, how curcumin. I'm sure curcumin also. Inhibits. Yeah, yeah. So you go on to those other sort of botanicals. So turmeric inhibits NF kappa. Majority of the inflammation in OA is NF kappa B. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, turmeric inhibits NF kappa B, and you've got ginger does as well. And I think um, you had a devil's claw. Yeah. 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 Yeah, devil's claw is the worst tasting supplement I think there is. I think if, if yeah, I think ginger and turmeric. I can, yeah, I don't mind the spice of that and the bitterness of turmeric, but devil's claw just don't take it. Yeah, I thought I'd try it, and I'm not. I'm not buying it. Yeah, so yeah, turmeric and ginger do the same. There's been a systematic review, uh, systematic review sorry, on turmeric, and I think the. the, the I think there has been a show that it does help, but it modestly helps in, in inflammation. But I know you're quite aware that it does come with side effects for some people as well, turmeric. It can cause a fever. It stops some people absorbing iron, particularly yeah. if you go over um, 1,200 milligrams a day. Yep. It can cause blood pressure issues, heart rate problems, make your tongue go red, and lose hair. So there's definite side effects of turmeric. So. But then again, you've got the other benefits, just like ginger. They affect so many different pathways, don't they? You know, dyslipidemia, sugar control, um, liver detoxification, general inflammation. I think there's something out there for everyone, isn't there, with regards? There's so many different things put on this planet for us that benefit us. Don't get me wrong, there's other things that are toxic. But, you know, turmeric and ginger, they're low-hanging fruit, aren't they, that they can really help. Mm. So, yeah, they are two of my go-tos. Awesome. There's something else I wanted to look at is, um, I guess, the degenerative aspect of cortisol on, you know, joint, uh, bone remodeling and stuff. 
Yeah, I, I think that's been actually shown by there's a study done on corticosteroid injections because it's, it's still a standard treatment in England from orthopedic surgeons. We, what we do, we're going to give you an anti inflammatory injection for your joint. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it just scares me when I hear it's still going in 2021. Yeah. So if you put triamcinolone into the joint, I think they showed that it does reduce inflammation within the joint, but you get an effect for about two weeks. It's better placebo, but after two weeks, there's no benefit. And corticosteroids are, are directly chondrotoxic. And yeah, they thin cartilage, but also they speed up the process of osteoarthritis. So I think, yeah, I, I can't believe it's still happening. The rationale there, Matt, is like related to the autoimmune aspect. They're suppressing the immune system. Is that how they look at it? Yeah, I, I think it's just adrenaline inflammation. I don't see the rationale. I think it's just the, the problem, problem is with medicine and sort of orthopedics, I think, you know, you're still getting orthopedic doctors giving people NSAIDs for inflammation joints when it's actually just not having no benefit at all. You're not actually aiding healing. You're just sort of numbing the pain, aren't you, in a way, and just hiding things and letting things just carry on. I was going to say, do you want to, do you want to explain to my audience what those NSAIDs are? Yeah, so you've got a couple of different types in the medical world that are prescribed. So you've also got the topical NZs like ibuprofen, diclofenac, et cetera. And then you've got the oral NZs. So the COX enzymes inhibit inflammation, basically. Now, there's a few issues with them taking them orally, but, um, is the fact they've got a wealth of side effects. Okay, so first you've got sort of cardiovascular side effects and the fact that you can actually increase your risk of heart attacks, stroke, hypertension. Okay, you've got gastrointestinal side effects and the fact that you can cause gastritis, inflammation of the stomach, ulceration, and have a large gastrointestinal bleed. And, you know, in my, my emergency work, I've seen this, you know, numerous times. And you know, people die. They do, they do die from, you know, catastrophic upper GI bleeds. And then you've got the, um, the renal complications, that's a renal failure. And definitely, yeah, it alters renal function. When you see some people on them, when you know, do that, check their use and ease. So they don't come without side effects, these drugs. And they have systematic reviews show they have modest effect, okay? And turmeric and ginger have a moderate effect as well. So, you know, there's a balance there. So, you know, why aren't people taking these drugs? But I said it's Western medicine. This is the issue that we don't get this knowledge at med school. You don't learn about alternative medicine. Yeah, you, uh, the amount of pharmacology I did was phenomenal. Uh, you know, I did, I did 12 weeks of delivering babies. I did half an hour of nutrition at university, half an hour. I think, I think, I think one, one of the teachers just put the vitamins up and they said what each vitamin did. That was my knowledge of, of nutrition. I don't think it's changed. You know, prevention is the key, isn't it? Prevention is the key. They don't. I mean, again, back to the NZs. Um, and then you've got them topically. I think they're better topically. If I was ever going to prescribe one, which I haven't, to my clients, they're better the fact that you can use a smaller dose, you get less systemic complications from them. They're well absorbed in the majority of cases, you no, know, to the joint. But I said, yeah, it's not my go-to drug of choice. Mm. I really would like to go back to those corticosteroids I want to sort of ask around sort of like the performance enhancing side. Let's look at like professional cyclists, for example. Yeah. They're somewhat abusing corticosteroids. Do you understand potentially why they would do that or the mechanism? I think it's, yeah, it's the anti-inflammatory effect. I'm not an expert on this, this sort of side, this, if I'm honest, but also you get a stimulatory effect from cortisol as well. I think it gets sort of a stimulatory high. You, you whack a load of cortisol in. I think <laughs> what wakes us up, isn't it? You, you give them that, I think it boosts them up. Things just don't hurt as much as well. I think that's probably the basis of what they use. But anything that's catabolic, I'm not keen on. So I don't, I try not to get involved. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not, so professional cycling is not, not my uh, area of expertise. People I see are more sort of strength athletes, yeah, rugby, bodybuilding and things like that. Well, seeing as though on the contrary, let's look at something that's pro-anabolic growth hormone. Let's discuss a little bit around growth. Yeah. Do you know what? There's a, there's a couple of interesting studies that have been done on growth hormone and it's 
that is intra-articular use in OA. Okay, they, there was a study on rabbits, I think a couple of years ago, 20 rabbits, male rabbits, they induced OA in these poor rabbits with a collagenase. And then after that, they injected 4IU of growth hormone. Okay, and then after, I think it was about eight, something like eight weeks, don't quote me on that, they euthanized them. Okay, and over that period, they looked at the level of lameness and they also looked at the macroscopic and microscopic changes of growth hormone. Really quite interesting. So significant difference in lameness. But when they macroscopically looked at these animals, there was improvements in the OA. Now, the mechanism is sort of not, not an anabolic or sort of anti-catabolic mechanism, but it increases the amount of what's called um, fenestrated arteries from the subchondral bone into the cartilage, improving nutrition and oxygenation of cartilage and also stem cell production. Oh. Really quite interesting. And this is probably somewhere that we can go to in humans. Obviously, we need the studies. I'm really quite impressed with this. Problem is getting the right dose in humans and how many times you need to do it. Do you need to be non-weight bearing? There's lots of different combinations. And having to maybe potentially get people in, I think you probably need more than one dose. If I'm honest, I think you probably only need up to about 12 doses. It's just a burden on the health service. And I think that's why, you know, when you come in, you see an orthopedic surgeon here, have a shot of corticosteroid. It's a one-off. It's not a, it's not a treatment you're going to give multiple times. You know, you can't have a clinic just of people coming in for a shot of uh, GH. But I think it's really encouraging mm-hmm. for, for OA in the future. We just need more trials on it. I think that there's been previous trials to that one in 2019 as well. Mm, so I guess what about um, there was another modality you've discussed before? Is it hyaluronic? The hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid, yeah. Hyaluronic acid, MSM, are two of my go-to compounds. Hyaluronic acid, it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of structural. It's called a, a proteoglycan. Okay, it looks like a pipe cleaner, you know, an old-school pipe cleaner that you look like. And and what is it? It's sort of a protein sort of backbone with sort of dissect saccharides that stick out and what it does is that each hyaluronic acid molecule binds about a thousand water molecules and it's produced by the chondrocytes and it's sort of it's part of the chondrocyte structure inside them but also within cyanogal fluid so what it does it increases the volume the viscosity of the um, cyanogal fluid so you've got better shock absorption more lubrication of the joint and um, boosts the metabolism within the chondrocyte uh, you get more chondrocyte proliferation. It's anti-inflammatory and also inhibits nociceptors, like pain receptors in the knee. And it actually has an additive effect. This is intra-articularly if you give it. Okay, uh, This is not orally? In combination, Lucas, it's got a synergistic effect. Right. If you take it orally, it acts slightly different. There's, a, there's another, another type of receptor. I'm not that okay of exactly how it works. It's called a toll like receptor four and that is involved inhibiting the nf kappa b pathway so if you take it orally in conjunction with having it intraarticularly there's a synergistic effect hyaluronic acid that is a natural compound they first got it from well (laughs) from rooster combs so that that's the like Mohican part of a rooster. Okay, so that's where it, it came from originally when you know it was being given <laughs> a lot of rooster combs, uh, and I, I think it's made by biofermentation now. Um, I started. It's not available in the. I don't know if it's available in the health service in in Australia, probably, but it's only privately given here in England. I started that four years ago. It, it's like a eureka moment. The moment that goes in off the end of the needle, you feel like a new person. Wow. And then about two weeks after that, you feel your joints feel amazing. And, and then it lasts up to about six months within the joint. Um, the, 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 the problem is, what's it called? As, as your joints regenerate, you don't produce that good hyaluronic uh, acid. It, it's, I think it's about a thousand kilodaltons. That's the size of the molecule. A good molecule, and you get down to about three thousand in OA, and it just doesn't work when it's that size. You know, the bigger the molecule, the more water it absorbs, 
the more shock resorption and lubrication. But yeah, hyaluronic acid is my go-to, I think, with MSM. They're my two favourite things in, you know, supplements. I suppose it's a supplement, isn't it? You're yeah. supplementing it into your joint. So, yeah, I, I do that every uh, six months. And I look forward to – well, I don't look forward to having the injection, but because um, it does it does come with a little bit of pain and swelling. You know, if you, if you take a paracetamol, I would generally ice it. You know, on on that night, you're good to go the next day, and it's it you, you feel like a new person. Mm, that's amazing. The um, my initial understanding with the hyaluronic acid is more associated with like skin health, though mostly. Yeah, because it is the structure of the skin, isn't it, with collagen? Yeah, so people do take it for for the skin as well. Mm, fascinating, awesome. There was another modality you've discussed. I don't know. I really don't know much about it, and that's ozone. Ozone, yeah. If, if you Google search ozone in England, there's quite a few places giving giving ozone. So you give, you give it, um, you can get medicinal ozone machines. You can actually buy them on on eBay if you know. <laughs> um, I think it was really popular, wasn't it, when COVID came? People, everyone started buying ozone machines and they're whiffing ozone because it kills COVID. I think it was really popular. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, ozone's injected intraarticularly as well now. It's, it's, it works on the anti-inflammatory pathways as well. Um, issue is that there's not much sort of scientific data out there. And the studies that have been done, they had so many different controls, it's difficult to actually decipher the information. So they're using like PRP, hyaluronic uh, acid, um, injecting saline into the knee. So the data's not that good. So there's you know, more studies are needed, but it looks like it is really good analgesic in OA, but the problem is it doesn't last long either, like a cortisone injection. So I'm not sure if we're going anywhere with ozone, to be honest. Mm. I think the funkier the, the treatment, I think more people sort of are clinging to it. It's going to work. And ozone sounds really cool, doesn't it? <laughs> injecting ozone into the knee. But I was thinking of getting a, a medicinal ozone scene and trying it. You know, they're about, I think they're about 700 pounds in England. Uh, it's, it's worth, I was thinking of having a tinker because I do really like, you know, I'm a, a guinea pig in a way. I definitely am. Mm, fascinating, fascinating. Let's sort of segue and discuss a little bit around, um, I think you had no, you noted here, uh, is it mandating or something around TRT? TRT therapy, Yeah. yeah. There was a pilot study done on 18 guys with, who were hypogonadal, so yeah, on, on standard TRT treatments. Um, they were given 100 milligrams a week um, IM of nandrolone. Now, nandrolone is 19 nor testosterone. It's, yeah, it's a derivative of testosterone, but it hasn't got a methyl group at the C19 point. Now, that has been shown previously to what in, increase bone density, um, well, IGF production, satellite cell um, muscle production, and also um, improved tendon health in animals. Now, so, so with that sort of remit, they gave that 100 milligrams of IM in conjunction with um, then standard TRT. And after eight weeks, um, there's a, a couple of different ways of, sort of measuring outcomes of OA treatment. So you've got the PVAS score, so it's a uh, pain visual analog score. I think often they have it, you know, you've got li- all the little different smiley faces and it's in a row of like the really smiley face and like one, yeah. Uh, so there's that and it's called the WOMAX score as well. That's more of a functional score. So it's called Western Ontario and Macmillan, Ma- Massachusetts or something, University OA index. It's, it's, it's a complicated term, but yeah, that looks at functionality. They did that and that sort of eight weeks... I think there was a 70, 70% reduction in significant reduction in pain out of, the, out of those guys um, with 30% needing a lot less medication that they were taking because a significant reduction in things like um, you know, so codamol, NZ and stuff. You know, there's, there's side effects of things like cocodamol, aren't they? Um, people are tolerant, become, you get constipation. They're, you know, tramadol, they're, they're all nasty drugs these people take. But overall, there's a 50% reduction in pain in taking nandrolone. I think anecdotally from 
yeah, sort of the 21 years I've been involved in the sort of the strength injury, I think a lot of bodybuilders, I think there's a lot, a lot of medical, let's say, treatments from bro science in the fact that these guys are trained anecdotally things help i think it probably it came anecdotally from bodybuilders that they were taking nandrolone and like deca and their joints just didn't hurt as much mm. so that that is a really interesting one for the future as well trt involved in nandrolone but i think we probably need a bit more work the fact there was a, i think it was only 18 guys in that study but that's definitely another one for the future mm, that's exciting that's really really cool um, what about something sort of separate, uh, the FGF analog you mentioned? Oh, yeah. We're, now we're sort of going down the route of, you know, the drug companies and what they're developing. I really like the science behind these sort of things, but the fact I think we sometimes need to get back to the basics, don't we? It's, it's you know, get, get back to the nutrition side. You know, don't actually let, well, no, don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed the rugby that I played. <laughs> and you know what it what, you know it's given me the sort of area that I have but yeah there, there's a whole myriad of different drugs that are in the pipeline um yeah there's anabolic drugs I guess spear firming is called it yeah it's an, a fibergrass growth factor analog and what it, what it does it increases uh, chondrocyte proliferation and the cartilage matrix so that's a drug that's in the future and then there's it's quite a few different. There's an anti-catabolic one. Now, what is that called? Yeah, so matrix myeloproteinase. That's one of the enzymes that breaks down cartilage. There's one of those in the pipeline. There's other anabolic agents. I think a bone morphogenic um, protein. I think it's called seven. That increases cartilage matrix production. Mm. It's, it's just a phenomenal world of, of, of where we're going with OA drugs, but. You know, maybe it's some of us do we just use more of these we were told the hyaluronic acid, the MSMs, the turmerics of the world. We probably wouldn't need these drugs that cost what ten thousand dollars a year to have. And maybe you just need to, you know, lose weight, control your type two diabetes and things like that. Do you know what I mean? Instead of going for all these really funky drugs that cost a lot of money. Well, you know what's really fascinating, Matt, is um I would love to have a discussion around type 2 diabetes with you if it's within your wheelhouse, if you're happy to chat about that. But I'd love to hear what your thoughts are in terms of the nutrition side of a, you know, type 2 diabetes. Yeah, I think it's just an issue with lifestyle, isn't it, well, what, what people are doing, that we're just taking in too many simple carbohydrates and not moving enough, isn't it? And there's it, too much of it. You, you swamp every organ with sugar you swamp your fat cells and there's just too much swimming around, isn't it? And the problem is that sugar is toxic. It's toxic to your brain. It's toxic to your liver when you, you know, you start um, getting fatty liver, your nerves don't like it. They die. Every part of your body does not like sugar, your eyes, your kidneys. And I think it's, it's a, a world where we just all live in the fast lanes all the time, don't we, at the moment. And people, they get up, they'll have, you know, in England anyway, half the population get up, have a cigarette, and they get a Red Bull from a petrol station, and that's their breakfast. And we're just not eating and drinking and moving like we used to. And, you know, did type 2 diabetes actually exist 200 years ago? Probably not. And it's part of the, the reason why, you know, now, 100 years ago, people started dying of heart attacks and things like that. So it's it's a massive issue. And I think especially from COVID now, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but half our generation now are a bit, you know, obese. First time we came out of lockdown, I could not believe the size of people. Um, and I think, you know, this is, we're going on to a different subject here, aren't we, as well. But I don't think, you know, half these people are going to lose their weight. So, you know, the obesity epidemic pandemic whatever you want to call it you know over the next 10 to 20 years and, and the effect on the health service is going to be phenomenal so yeah, we have to watch this space where we're going 100 100 the um yeah obesity side of things i think um yeah it's up to us people like us to educate people on you know what to do from a life lifestyle perspective diet perspective um 
you know, even I don't know if you saw that pretty cool study on, you know, comparing three 15-minute walks to metformin um, that, you know, a post-meal walk is more effective, you know, more effective than an anti-diabetic drug, which is, you know, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. We don't actually don't need that. You know, it's just with with your diet as well. You know, you get fish oil into your diet. You know, I I love adding if if I work out, I have a, a teaspoon of cinnamon, long cinnamon, and things like that. You don't don't need to go down the drug drug route, do you? You can ginger uh, is as high I think turmeric has an involvement as well. We don't need to be taking these drugs if you and is it. It doesn't taste nice, a metformin tablet, compared to having some spicy ginger. You know, as I said before, all of, all of these things have been put on the planet for us, you know, as, as a benefit, aren't they? It's just, yeah. it's, it's got to mix and match all, all of these different yeah, you know what's, foods what's and spices like, and herbs. What's really cool, Matt, is like understand when we, when we love to geek out on the mechanisms, like yeah. activating some of the same pathways as metformin, like and even berberine also doing the same sort of berberine. thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's got an anti antibacterial effect within the bowel, isn't it? Berberine's got so many different benefits, um, and it probably it's probably going to increase your lifespan as well and health span if you, if you take it. Will there be a study on that though? Uh, I think it's quite a bit of work on berberine, isn't there? Yeah. And the saying is, it's probably um case in relation. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely in my. In, in my um, arsenal of, of, of uh, supplements. What about... Um, the problem is you need to take it three times a day. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just... It's really difficult to do things like that. I, I normally just... I take one at night um, when I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. What about, like... I know you mentioned... Um, you mentioned MSM being part of the sulfur family. What, what are your thoughts on taurine? Mm. I'm going to have to back out of this. Well, on taurine, I think you're more of the expert on that. You tell us. You tell us about taurine. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I made a, I made a YouTube video. I was, yeah. I was hoping it would be like one of the most comprehensive research and analysis on taurine on, on the entire web. But I mean, I, yeah, from a, it wouldn't surprise. Yeah. Me, I haven't looked into the research, but it wouldn't surprise me if taurine has some osteoarthritic protective properties. It wouldn't surprise me. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so the MSM is a sulfur donor for for taurine production. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not an expert on taurine. So like, I need to read up. I need to watch your your um, YouTube uh, video, don't I? <laughs> what are some of the other herbs that you your botanicals that you? I know you love to geek out on those. So like what else? I think you mentioned rosehip. Yeah, yeah, ro- ro- rosehip's another. I think NF kappa B. Uh, inhibitor there's quite a few different ones and a few one yeah different ones yucca is probably the one that interests me the, the most it, it, yucca comes from mexico apparently what's the uh, I been what's, to mexico, so it's, what's the latin it's got a really odd mechanism what's the latin? oh well the oh, of yucca oh i don't know yucca da, 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 something like that um it's really weird it works within the bowel Okay, so inhibits protozoa and bacteria that produce an endotoxin that goes within the bloodstream to the joints and inhibits proteoglycan production. Unreal. So that's, that's, that's one of that's, that's one of that's my geek out supplement, yucca. Um, and you also got. I think you like serapeptidase, don't you? Are you, uh, are you a fan of serapeptidase or not? I I personally personally haven't used it myself, but I understand a little no, bit. No, I've never, yeah. Yeah, and that's another really weird supplement. Serapeptidase is an enzyme, for anyone who doesn't know, that is produced in the bowel of silkworms, okay, by, by I think the back, by the bacteria in the bowel of silkworms, okay. And when it's excreted, uh, the, the moth that's within the cocoon can break it. Basically, protease that breaks down and dissolves the cocoon, so that the moth can fly out. Really, really. So I don't know who ever thought about this. Um, I know. I mean, I think it's quite popular in the biohacking world. Um, but within, so I've always been a bit skeptical of it because I've looked at studies before. But I looked at this study um, um, recently, and it's been shown to increases pro-inflammatory 
sort of cytokines. I think that's its its main main um, action, and it's got a significant reduction in pain. So it's difficult for me because I don't really get pain in my joints. My OA, it's just a bit sort of sometimes a bit stiff when I when I when I wake when I wake up. So if I tried it, I'm not sure if I'd really notice any difference because I said I don't really get pain. But it might be one of those ones. For, for, for people to try but i think it doesn't go without side effects you know it's a, it's, it's a protease it's got to be enteric coated because you're going to get some probably real gastrointestinal upset of the stomach if it's not it, it needs to get a, it can actually cause joint and muscle pain as well uh, i think you can get skin reactions with it so i don't think it i think it's one to take with caution um but yeah it's interesting it's interesting but i think there's a lot of myriad of different other applications for it i'm not sure there's really any evidence yeah there's another there's another pretty weird one maybe not so weird but it's like from traditional chinese medicine is i don't know if you've done any research on deer antler deer antler but deer antler is that is that with like igf production igf1 analogs yeah yeah do you know what? Yeah, I, I've I've looked at that in the sort of the body the bodybuilding world, and is it is it anabolic for athletes? And it definitely isn't. So I'm not sure about that. But all the research I've done on sort of OA, I've never seen it come up. But yeah, IGF one is needed for chondrocyte proliferation. But how much does it equate that if you've got an all sort of IGF one analog? How, does it is it absorbed within the body? You know, peptides going through the gut. You know, we've got we've got proteases that break them down, don't we? So I'm I'm not sure. I'm skeptical on that one. Yeah, yeah. I'll fill in my audience in terms of what that's used for. Um, not so much with the um, osteoarthritis, but from a TCM mm. perspective, they recommend a deer antler to restore. It's different language, obviously. They're talking about kidney yin and kidney yang. So it actually fortifies technically what that what I think they're referring to is the adrenal glands. So it's like actually right. you know, restoring the adrenal glands. Maybe it's helping with corticosteroid release. Maybe that's yeah. the mechanism. Yeah. I so said I only ever looked it up in, in sort of an, and because it was touted as an anabolic. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's so that's my area of interest as well. With a lot of guys who, who come and see me want to put a, a bit of size on. And you know, I, I was always tinkering when I was at university. I spent so much money on supplements that didn't work. Um, I don't think I took the around there. I might have. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Because it's been around for a while, isn't it? A lot of these supplements come and go. People realize they don't work for a certain, you know, that they've had one study like on on a, on a, some sort of worm and it produces an anabolism and then they bring it out in the supplement market, don't they? After, uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a few out there, things like tribulus, et cetera. You know, it's not an anabolic, but that goes round in cycles of 10 to 20 years and someone will remarket it. There's a few out there, yeah. Well, there's another one that you, you posted about, um, turkesterone. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. I, th- I think the I think that is still sort of anecdotal about uh, from from bodybuilders, isn't it? I think it's a yeah, it's a, it's a sort of a, a plant sterile, isn't it? Um, that I think stimulates different insects to go into maturity and like that. I don't I'm not, I don't think there's actually that evidence much evidence on on turkisterone there's another one called beta ectisterone um that is an anabolic agent i think it comes from um, wild yam spinach but i think you probably to get a decent dose you probably need to to eat about five kilos of spinach a day uh quinoa as well i yeah. think it's in quinoa and that has been shown to be and as well apparently in a study the one study that's been done i think as strong as there's an anabolic called dianabol it's an oral um anabolic steroid and it was meant to be as, as strong as that. Um, I'm not so sure. Um, but it was actually banned by the, the World Anti-Doping Association. Uh, so I think when something's banned by them, I think it means it works. And, yeah, I, I tried I tried beta ectosterone a while back because I think I didn't train really for a year and a half during COVID. I thought I'd just concentrate on getting through it, working. And I, I went back to the gym for about six weeks. 
it's difficult to know whether it's muscle memory, dysterone, but I, I felt benefit. And I've got, uh, I've actually got a, a work colleague with type 2 diabetes who's got into his training and he definitely leaned up and got a bit stronger. Mm. on um, on ectosterone so i think that's definitely one to look for and it has to be used in women as well it's not going to you know cause that androgen androgenic changes awesome 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 man well maybe um seeing as though we're coming to the end of the show matt did you want to mm. let, let my listeners know where they can um where they can find you where they can connect with you if they want to you know get in touch yeah sure so i'm um, i'm on instagram at dr matthew milner uh, also, I've got my website for my business, so www.evolutionsportslab.co.uk. Yeah, so, yeah, but maybe yeah, the first port of call is really social media these days, isn't it? So, yeah, at Dr. Matthew Milner, double T. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Well, I'll make sure to leave those linked in the show notes. Um, but, yeah, it's been, been an awesome episode. I know my listeners will have absolutely loved this. All good. It's good. To get, we'll have a flat white when I'm over in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Good to see you, mate. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. 365 day returns.